and welcome to Real Clear Fetish Talks Real Clear Play. My name is Ralph. I am the host of what I would do is this is a podcast that kind of centers around uh, sober life, kink life and everything in between. And this week we are going to the States yet again. Um, primarily my guests this season have been American, but there's so many great people over there. So it makes sense to bring them in. So I'll bring my guest in and we'll take it from there. Hello. Hello, how are you? Ooh, I am, I'm okay. Yeah, I'm really okay. How are you? Uh, warm. Very, very, very warm. Oh, <laughs> yeah. We have air conditioning in Florida, so we take care of that. Uh, we, we don't, and we are in the middle of our second heat wave. So um, not as bad as the first one, which was like the a record, but this time around it's quite hot as well. So... Not full kit, no no full jacket this time. It's just too hot for that. Yeah, I'm sorry for global warming, but you people should get air conditioning because it's really convenient. Yeah, but we have maybe like one or two days of this, so it's it's not really worth to have air conditioning in every house for it just yet. Maybe in the future it'll come into play. Uh, we'll we'll start the. Um, the chat, the interview, with just four standard questions, and then we just go from there. Okay. Cool. Uh, what do you prefer I call you? Names, pronouns, and title? Um, edge, he, him, and I'm not attached to any particular title. I think it really depends on how someone sees me or wants to address me, so I'm not easily offended, whatever titles you want to use, or none at all. Fantastic. Edge. I will stick with Edge. Edge then. Fantastic. Uh, tell me a little bit about yourself. Oh, goodness. I am a 51, almost 52-year-old leather man. I have been in the scene for over 30 years. I um, work a rigorous program of recovery in AACMA and in Al-Anon. Um, and after um, making a decision to be more honest about my program on January 1st. I now have, I don't know, whatever, how many months there are since January 1st. Uh, I am currently single. think maybe open for love, maybe not. It's hard to find. Definitely at some point would like to have a boy, collared, probably as a secondary relationship. I am into leather, boots, gloves, cigars, power exchange, and pain as a pathway to intimacy. That's and everyone take a note. There's a little list there of things you might like if you want to, to, to date Edge. Um, completely sober, clear-headed, or a social drinker? Oh, completely sober, yeah. And, you know, I don't know, I don't know that alcohol was ever, my main drug was crystal meth. Mm. Um, alcohol was never a huge problem for me. I don't think I drank normally, but I believe that if I'm going to commit myself to a program like AA, then it's really about being honest and adhering mm. to what that program um, advocates. And since I get a lot of strength from AA, because I find there's a lot of long-term recovery, I don't mm. drink at all. I don't do anything at all. Fantastic, fantastic. Uh, and what is Clear Play to you and why is it important? Um, clear Play is connected play. Uh, if anyone's on anything, there is no connection. If there's no connection, there's no reason for me to be investing my energy into the play. I value kink over sex. I'm not really into genital sex all that much. And so kink is the main source of my sexual intimacy. 
And therefore I need someone to be able to be present with me so that we can both create that kind of intimate magic together. So it's pretty critical. Yeah, it's, 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 it's the weird thing when it comes to drug taking is we are seeking connection, but it's the one thing we don't get when we use. Correct, correct. So you, you say you don't focus too much on the dental, would you, genitals, and when it comes to sex, it's more about the, the physical, the kink and so on. Would you more categorize yourself as a side then? No, I, I just learned this term. <laughs> see, I've only, I've only just learned it. I was just like, let's put this word in there and see if anyone knows it. Um, no, I, you know, no, I would not categorize myself as a side because, you know, in many of the scenes, if I'm doing particularly like a, a beating scene, the, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know what, none of us get off, right? There's no, no genital orgasm involved because the pleasure and the intimacy and the catharsis and the emotional release from the scene, I mean, you're pretty exhausted by the end of it. So, mm. um, I mean, I'm not, op I'm not opposed to being a side. I, I would say that in non kink context, I would probably categorize myself more as a side. Yes. I wonder how many people know what side is. It's and everyone's like, what are they talking about? What? A, a side means when you're not necessarily into penetration and you kind of is like, I, I'm assuming that's why they've chosen the word. You said you're just kind of laying to the side. Well, yeah, I, the way it was described to me is that you're side by side jacking off. So it's not really about the yeah. anal or the oral, but it's about being beside each other. And the, the, each one, other the, the one person I actually know who's quite famous, who has famously said that he's not necessarily used that word, but... I know he's not into penetrative sex, is Stephen Fry. He's a side. He doesn't oh, yeah. do that. Um, yeah. So that's the only person I really know of who's specifically that. Yeah, and I, you know, I'm not into penetrative sex generally. However, uh, if I am bonding with a boy, it's very mm. important to seed him. For me, that's part of that process of bonding. But it's not like I'm gonna fuck you for hours until your eyes roll back in your head. I'm just gonna fuck you till I get my seed in you, and that's that's how we do it. That made me smile a little bit. Uh, but no, it's 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 interesting when you when you're saying about like um, you, you mentioned um, you would be open to a relationship or a boy and so on, and you have, need that connection. And I'm I'm myself trying to like figure out the dynamics of dating especially as a sober kink person, because all of a sudden you're going from like, you're gay, so you have a pool, but then you're kinky, so your pool gets smaller. Then you became sober, now it's even smaller. How do you find managing that when you're trying to like engage with any romantic or sex thing? Is, is that pool is all of a sudden quite small? Yeah. Well, I'm still single, so that's, that's how I'm managing it right now. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, the, the more boxes you have to tick, the smaller your pool gets. Because not only is it like gay, kinky, sober, but then it's like uh, the bottoms, the ones who are into cigars, right? It just gets smaller, smaller, smaller. Most of my primary romantic relationships have been long distance simply because I had to expand the parameters of my pool to find someone who's a good match. I don't recommend that. It's not what I want. Um, but, but I also don't think there's anyone here locally that I want to pursue romantically. I could be surprised. I would like to be surprised, but 
it is a, a definite issue. So one of the ways I navigate it is by expanding my pool and being open to something like long distance um, with hopefully the eventuality of one of us moving to the other. But it is definitely an issue and dating's hard to start with and adding kink in just makes it harder. Yeah, I, I do find, I'm, I've been single, God no. I had a relationship that lasted like three months and that was, I learned why you don't kink, why, why you don't date in recovery, especially when you're both <laughs> in the rooms. I learned the hard way. It's like, everyone's hope is like, you don't date, especially not the first year. And it's like, well, I'm going to do it my own way. And I know better. It's like, no, I didn't. Uh, so I learned the hard way on that one. So I didn't really count that as a relationship because it was only three months. Um, mm. So I've kind of been single for like seven years now. Um, so there is a part of me that's like, oh God, is it ever going to bloody happen? But also my recovery is more important. My king is more important. This is more important to me at the moment than any relationship really. Yeah, I fall back on my program quite a bit and remind myself that God has a plan and that it's not, his plan isn't necessarily I'm going to find a husband, but his plan is for my greatest good, my greatest spiritual growth, and therefore my greatest serenity and my happiness. So for me, it's really about falling back uh, onto steps two and step three. Like step three is the God's got a plan part, but for step two is, is to always holding on to hope that what I'm feeling right now is not the way I'm always going to feel. That change is possible and that someday I might meet someone. And actually the preponderance of historical evidence suggests that I will meet someone else. Well, that's, that's, that's good, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so when, what came first, recovery or kink? Kink, kink came first. I got into leather really probably 20, 1920, and I got into recovery when I was 35. And um, you sound approximately the same like timeline as me. I was 22 when I started and I became sober, like properly sober uh, five years ago. So that would have been 32. So yeah, same. Yeah, yeah, same. Sorry, I interrupted you by comparing No, that. no, it's, it's, yeah, just that, um, you know, the, I, I, I had done different things early in my leather explorations, different drugs, but it really took a, a while to kind of become that problem. And then, and then I, I hit bottom pretty rapidly within like a year, but I mean, it just sort of crept in, right? It just sort of was circling me slowly until I started using and then, and then the rest happened, right? So what was your first like kink experience? What, 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 what attracted you first? Well, I mean, I had fantasies of men in leather and bondage for as long as I can remember. But my first sexual experience was also my first kink experience. And I was 17 and I met this guy kind of on the levees out of New Orleans. He was walking his dogs and I was walking and he took me back to his place. And I, I insisted he tie me up before we do anything else. Don't recommend that. But that's how I did it. So he went down the street and borrowed handcuffs from a friend and handcuffed me. So my, I like to think that my first, and that was my first sexual experience. And it was my first kink experience at the same time. It, it is, yeah. For anyone listening, don't do that the first time, especially if it's someone you just met. Uh, it can be a bit tricky because you don't know the person and that's how you get into trouble. Yeah, I do not recommend it. This is like, don't do what we do. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but I mean, story, I, was, yeah. I, was, I was 17, and when you're 17, you're just kind of horny and stupid, 
and invincible and you think a lot with your genitals and not necessarily with other parts of your body so you know it's nothing i would ever recommend but it it happened and i'm here it's it's i've i've on occasion and I, i try not to like lecture people with safe practices and so on but when i see something pop up on twitter and like a picture where it's like questionable uh, say practices I, i think the worst one i saw was someone in a bathtub with a gas mask on with a hose up hog side and i was just like uh, so the person you were doing that with is experienced right and they were like no it was the first time we ever did that it was just like what if you passed out in the water you're dead weight you can't get yourself out then especially in a bathtub it's very slippery um i i try not to lecture people but it's also like you don't want to die And there have been deaths. I mean, particularly, I've done a lot of knockout breath control kind of play, and I know a few incidents of death, in part from people who didn't know exactly what they were doing. And so, yeah, totally possible. What we do comes with risk. It, it does, yeah. It's, it's the same with like, oh, I want to be encapsulated in rubber for a whole night. It's like, yeah, there's a risk you can overheat if you're not in the right climate. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's so important that you have these safe practices. So you started around like your early 20s. Um so when did drugs stop start happening and when did you kind of what was your rock bottom if you could say? Um I know that's different for every person and there's some people have several rock bottoms. Yeah. So where 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 was like kind of the notion to make a change not necessarily to stop but make a change? Yeah, so um you know, I I've always been a kind of sensation junkie and so I've always needed more heavier bondage, heavier breath control. And so at a certain point that more crossed into um drugs and that was probably in the late 90s, so in my late 20s. And by the early millennium, I was using crystal meth fairly regularly and 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 by 2005 when i moved out here to florida i kind of knew it was a problem but i thought i could right i thought i could beat it i didn't i didn't want to really acknowledge the extent of the problem and then i had this um really bad scene that was both a kind of incredible emotional bottom and it sort of put my life at risk and it's it's something i've only told like i can count like only my sponsors and my partners have ever heard the story because it's just so I still have so much shame attached to that emotional bottom and that was like okay well I need to get some help and that's when I first checked out 12 step programs I didn't take them super seriously I didn't stop drinking I kind of white knuckled it for 6 months and and then I used again and it was really good I mean everything was good the drugs were good the guy was hot I was able to sleep and when I when I woke up I thought I don't have to tell anyone And then suddenly I realized if I didn't tell anyone it would happen again it would happen again it would happen again it would happen right so I could finally ha- I finally had that honest moment where I saw where that road led and that's when I feel like that was when I woke up and really took 12 steps seriously and like looking at your Instagram and the videos you do you do a lot of like inspirational talks um you do um gear practices uh, role practices and so on you did a whole series around integrating your kink with 12 step what what inspired you to do that um you know part of it was my 12th step you know practice these principles in all my affairs so i've always been pretty reflective on what that means to me and what the principles are to me and 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 how they operate in my life i've also been to 
here in Florida, we have the Miami Roundup, which is sort of a recovery convention. And there have been sessions on um, sobriety and leather, and I've run a couple of those. I've been really kind of more thoughtful about that connection. But there's, and the other part of it is like, leather is so spiritual for me, and 12 Steps so spiritual for me, that I wanted to kind of think about where that spirituality overlapped and integrated. And, and for now, I mean, right, I'm the same edge, every place I show up, same situation. And it's because of the sort of principles that I've woven throughout my life. So, you know, it started with really um, trying to integrate parts of my world, learning about how these things come together, and then really being thoughtful about the principles of the program as I was taught them and the principles I see in the leather community and, and realizing they're really quite the same quite often. Yeah, it's, 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 um, I don't do 12 step anymore. It's just not a part of my recovery. Um, so I wouldn't say I'm an expert as well, but I definitely know it, it's, it's funny when you mentioned it's like you wake up after a use up and you don't have to tell anyone, but you just know your conscience is going to pop in. Mm -hmm. So I, I think, I laughably shared in a meeting some years back, it's like, well, recovery has ruined my using. <laughs> yes, it does that. Absolutely. Because all of a sudden you get a taste of something a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah, that, and I've heard that a lot in the rooms. And I, and I know that, you know, I really do have this really amazing life that I would not want to lose. And I know the moment I pick up, I'm going to lose it. Quickly or slowly, one way or another, I will lose it. It's, it's when you talked about like you did your king, you did drugs and you didn't really think it was a problem and it just kind of slowly creeps up on you. It, do you know what? I recognize myself in that. Uh, I think it was the conversation with a friend. It didn't necessarily click with me at the time. I just thought it was very normal where he kind of was like, when was the last time you, did, you had sober sex? I was like, oh yeah, five years ago. Well, when you're hanging out with people who do drugs, it just looks normal. It's like, oh, well, that's just what we do. You know, it's just, it's just Friday night. And so you gravitate those crowds where that thing's normalized and then it doesn't seem like a problem because everyone's doing it. So you just seem normal. And it's only when you get a different context when someone asks you like, well, when was the last time you didn't do that that you really yeah. get, get that realization. So now that you're in your start 50s, looking great for it as well, I will Thank say. You. Um, where, where can you like where do you want to go now it's like what is your goals I know you now do a podcast which is Thank amazing um, so it's it's what what do you see on the horizon for yourself right right now you know my, my big life goal I've never I've never lived with someone I loved I've and my only true life goal is to live with a partner and wake up with the same person in my bed every day and build a life together. And it's entirely possible. I'm going to hate it. I'm going to be like, get the fuck out my space. I can't, why'd you, why'd you fold the towels that way you idiot. But I want to have the chance and I've not had that. So that's my, my big goal. And, and beyond that, I really want to see the Northern lights. And so there's an event called Arctic pilot. I don't know if you've heard of it, no. but it's like, it's like, so there's Arctic Pride in Northern Norway in November. And then they have this little leather event called Arctic Pilot. So I wanna go hang out with a bunch of leathermen and look at the Northern Lights. So that's gonna happen in 2023. Those are my two goals. That's all I have going on in life. Oh, then, uh, do you know what? 
I, I might write that one behind my ear. That sounds amazing, especially as someone who comes from Scandinavian countries. I'm from Denmark originally. Oh, so yeah. We, we don't get the, well, very rarely we get the Northern Lights in Denmark. Very rarely it, it comes that far down. You really do have to go far north to really get it properly. But I think we have once or twice in the last 10 years had it in, in I, that far down. I just feel like there's so little magic left in the world and that has got to be a magical experience. And so that's definitely a bucket list item. And uh, I mean, beyond that, now, I mean, I do feel like I will have a boy. I don't think my boy will be my primary partner. I do want to have a partner. I do want to live with my partner. Um, but I've really accomplished, I've had a really blessed life and I've had amazing experiences. So I'm also very cognizant of the fact that I've already had an extraordinary journey and that, you know, it's okay. It's okay to not want more because I've had so much. It's, 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 interesting when 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 we find recovery and we become a lot healthier and more in tune with what our mental health is like and where we want to be in life and so on um and you kind of get to the point where you've experienced all that and you've even the using is almost in a way a gift because it gives you hindsight and and you can just appreciate things a little bit more yeah and everything in my journey, good and bad brought me to this place. So, you know, I don't regret my using. It's been a part of who I am. And as bad as it was, it's really opened up some amazing growth. So I don't regret it. It's, it's, so when, when did you like, when, when, when is, may I ask when your sober date is? One, one, two, two. So January 1st, 2022. So then yeah, so, you know, I, I haven't done crystal meth since 2006, but, um, you know, I, I really love getting knocked out. I had a knockout fetish. And so for several years, I was letting someone knock me out with G and sleeping pills. And it, and, and it didn't cause a lot of problems in my life. It wasn't unmanageable, but it wasn't honest. I wasn't being honest. And that mm -hmm. always sort of graded on me. So I finally made the decision to be in alignment with my own values and my own sense of what's right and wrong and to just stop doing that and start over. So that's the story. Oh, thank you for sharing that. I, 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 I was trying to, because you mentioned January earlier in the interview and I was just like, oh, I kind of want to explore that a little bit. Just with, hopefully there wasn't too personal of me to ask that. No, no, no. I mean, I, I obviously this for my, for me part of, being a sober person in the world is being very honest about my experiences and about the slips and, and the triumphs. And it's, it's, you know, it's fine. It's not because it didn't activate my disease the way crystal meth did. It's not like I had a lot of cravings. It's just like, well, I'm going to stop doing that. And I stopped, but the mental adjustment of thinking of myself as a newcomer, starting all over, recommitting myself to the program I wanted to work. That's been a really um, humbling experience, not humiliating, but it has been humbling. Well, also, I, I would not that we're gonna excuse any of it, but it's it's it sounds like it was a very different different beast, if you could say, what you were doing. Um, and, and and in the greater scheme of things, when when I talk to someone in in early recovery, early early recovery, if their goal is just to stop crystal meth to start with, perfect. If you could stop that, and then other things kind of fall into place later on. 
Um, it, it's not that I'm advocating that you shouldn't go completely sober right away. That If that works, perfect. If it doesn't and you just get rid of your primary drug use that's damaging your life, well, that's also good. It's, it's, yeah. Sometimes it's more harm reduction than a total stop. Yeah, the way I've heard that placed in the rooms here in Fort Lauderdale is get rid of things in the order that they're killing you. Mm. And the very, the very Florida version of that is shoot the alligator nearest the boat, right? So the, the, if you deal with the drug that's killing you and then, then, then later on you'll figure out, oh, I also have a problem with this, I have to do, or not, right? But, but you deal with the thing that's killing you because you don't want to die. Well, yeah, I, I, I think originally when I, I, I stopped drinking first, drinking was never my main issue. It was just led me to other things. So I thought if I stop drinking, then I won't take drugs because then I won't go to them. Didn't work. Um, then I stopped using drugs, but I was still angry. So I ended up drinking and then I ended up using again. So it's in any recovery journey, it's a process. And and also when you give something up, it's you experience grief. Yeah, that's definitely part of it. And I mean, it, it, it's also like leather is a process. Leather is a journey. Recovery is a journey. And and your recovery changes as you evolve, as your leather and your interest in your kink changes, you evolve as well. Yeah. So, uh, what's your favorite piece of gear? What an impossible question. I mean, I would, I, <laughs> One of your pieces of favorite gear, because I'm very curious to see your closet, because that must be huge, because I don't think I've ever seen you in the same outfit. I have a lot, I will say. Uh, at this point in my life, one of my favorite pieces of gear are my leglets, probably um, actually the Rangers. I'm wearing them right now. And it's it's because, I mean, the leglets is just exquisite and exquisitely made and you know, it's, it's got your, your name in the pocket and serial. It's just such a beautiful customer experience. But also, I, I never thought I would have leglets. I mean, I just got them like a year ago. And mm. I just never thought I'd be able to afford it. I never thought I would ever have that. And to have achieved that was such a unexpected gift. And I mean, they're just really exquisite. And so yeah, they're very special. Well, when, when you interact with them, it's just customer service is forefront. Scott, who works at Langlet, is just the loveliest person to email with when you're setting up the order. Um, it's a small family-run business. It's surprisingly really small because I yeah. thought it was like a huge business. But it, it's I think they're like 10, 15 people. That's about yeah. it. Yeah, the wait's up to 14 months now. Uh, but it is, you know, you also, you get this card and it's like, so-and-so cut the leather on this date and so-and-so, you know, pieced it. I mean, to get that sort of beautiful, um, really bespoke experience, it, it, it is that next level customer service. It makes you feel so special. And it's not something you get from Mr. S or from Mr. B or, you know, it's own, only language, I think, treats you like your royalty. It's really special. It, it is, and they know their clientele. <laughs> it would be very weird if they didn't know who they were selling to. Oh my God, because you fill out the form and it's like, is this for writing or not? Like, right? Like, they know, they totally know. And they're not like, um, 
they're not assholes about it, as far as I can tell. They're, they're pretty accepting, you know. They know they know where the money's. I think from. they have some, um, <coughs> you call it, opinions on some of the fashion choices the gays do. For example, they think the jacket is too high. They don't like that. Uh, they do not like. They do not like the double belt. You're absolutely right. No, and that was the problem with my first jacket. I got uh, the trousers made and the jacket made. And I've it, the, the the measurement was wrong of my back, but my jacket was way too long. So I kind of went back to them. It's like, can you make sure so the belts are on top of each other? It's like, oh, we don't like that. So we kind of made a happy compromise. It overlaps a little bit, very little. Yeah, they hate that. And I've heard it's because um, if you gain weight, there's no room for the leather to expand. And they don't want you coming back and saying, but yes, I've had three or four friends to try to get the double belt look and Langlitz pushes back very hard. Like, no, we don't do that. We don't like to do that. But otherwise they're really good with customer service. Oh, they're very friendly about it, really. They just yeah. <laughs> just kind of went, that's a fashion statement. We don't like that. That's not a part of it. <laughs> no, yeah, Langlitz is like the Prada of the leather world or Gucci or whatever, if you wanted to make that comparison. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And they're huge in in Japan too. Oh yeah, yeah. It's I think their main customers are Japanese and gay. <laughs> sort of, I don't know anyone who's just a biker who's going to spend that much money for like a pair of riding pants. No, it's no, not, not at all. It's 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 definitely I I could get get on a bike in the trousers because the trousers not. See, this is the thing. I'm used to tight leather trousers. That's not Langlet's trousers. They're not tight. They're not supposed to be tight. But I kind of like the fact that there is extra fabric and it's thick and it's just, I love that. Yeah, I and you know, when my Langlet's got to me, they felt a little big in the waist, but I didn't mind it because Langlet's is almost about excess. You, It's like you're dripping in leather. It's so heavy. It's folding. It's And that that level of excess, I just love. It's like doing you know, the three straps on Wesco's or the extra long straps on the Wesco's. It's like, you're just sort of dripping in leather. There's so much of it. And I'm all about the leather, so that works out fine. Well, that, that's the same thing if you're a rubber guy. Some rubber guys really like layers. I think it's the same with leather as well, especially when you oh, yeah. get the length jacket, you get the waistcoat on, you get the jacket on, you get the shirt on. Not in that order. But yeah, it, it's, it's, it's just, ugh. I would have put it on tonight, but it's too hot. <laughs> I understand. Yeah. You're still in the heat wave there. So how has your response been for your own podcast? Oh, God, you know, so... And what's the name of your podcast so people know on the, on the chat? My pa podcast is called Full Cow, Edge Talks, Leather and Kink. And it started because I was doing these videos on Twitter and Instagram, and people were like, Oh my God, I love the sound of your voice. I can listen to you all day, which was really weird for me because I grew up kind of hating the sound of my voice. Um, but people were like, you should do a podcast. You should do a podcast. And then when I got out of my last relationship, I just had, right, you get all this space and time that you need to fill. And I wanted to, I wanted to, to do something to kind of, as I, as I was healing. So I, I did the podcast and it's, I get some really beautiful feedback sporadically from individuals like oh i listened to this episode on blah 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 and it made so much difference for me or whatever but if i just look at the the numbers the podcast doesn't do great like it's it's okay but statistically the numbers aren't great 
But if I just look at the numbers, I think, Christ, why am I spending this much money doing this much work for this few, like, small group of people? But, but when people connect to me and, and give me feedback on an episode, it's kind of rewarding. So I'm kind of still figuring out how long the podcast is going to last because it's, it's not an insignificant amount of work or money. No, it's, it's, it's the same doing this, and then I do the editing afterwards, and then it goes on to the platforms and so on. And yes, the figures don't look great. I think on here, maybe between 200 to 400 views, if I'm really, if it's really good. Um, the listens on Apple, Spotify, and so on is not as high. But it's, like you say, it's the feedback you get back. Um, and, and I do have quite permanent listeners that come into these lives yeah. and listen and so on and especially yeah. when I announced you they were really excited to have you on um so I, I do get some really nice feedback especially also because the the subject of my podcast yes it's kink yes it's sex yes it's just honesty but it's also because of the sobriety thing it's it's I do get people who really get a lot out of it especially also because like I hear your story and I hear about myself in your story. And that's yeah. the power you also, the same power you get in the rooms is you recognize yourself in it. Yeah. And I think for me, you know, I do leather a very specific way. Like I'm very, you know, Tom of Finland kind of aesthetic, like the mm. langlets and, 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 and that's not the only way to do leather. Like some people will do, you know, a harness and a choo-choo and that's fantastic. But I believe in the way I do leather. And the only way it's going to last beyond me is if people learn about it. So for me, a lot of all the videos in the podcast is a way of keeping the leather I believe is important, is important to me. And the leather I love, how do I keep it alive? I've mm. got to let people know about it. They've got to learn because some subset of them will be like, wow, that's what I want too. That's how I do it. And then it lasts on beyond me, which is what I want. I want, I want leather to last beyond me, the leather I understand to last beyond me. So would, would you categorize yourself old guard or new guard? Oh, Christ. I mean, I don't. <laughs> or you're just like a happy medium. I am just, you know, one leather man trying to find his way. Um, I, 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 I think I have a whole episode of the old guard on the podcast. I think it's a complicated term. I do tend to like rituals. I am drawn to protocols. But... Um, but I'm also really open. Like the old guard was all about being closed. And I'm like, hey, anyone can come to my leather bar. Come on in, please mm. buy drinks. So my leather bar stays open. So there are parts of me that feel very new guard in that the sort of openness and inclusivity. And there's part of me that feel very old guard in terms of the aesthetics or, or protocol or ritual. So yeah, I'm, I, I, I'm edge I guard. Sorry? I'm edge guard. Your edge guard, <laughs> the new edition. Uh, book will come out later with all the rules and regulations <laughs> it's 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 i would say i'm 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 a little bit like you i kind of just do what you want to do with it of course i love like the old aesthetic tom of finland full lever like you do that that, that is where, that's my confident place as soon as i kind of go a little bit outside my norm when it comes to the outfit i'm less confident and it's something i i need to kind of push myself a little bit with mm. um last weekend i went to the lover social i went in chaps and bleachers underneath with uh, a tank top on top i'm not a big guy so 
when when I show off arms and chest and so on, there's not a lot. Um, so I must admit, it was not my most confident outfit. But when I get the feedback from Instagram and from friends, it's just like, no, I look great. Fantastic. Okay. That's not where I feel confident. But people are looking at me and getting something out of it. So that's the main thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, at this point, I've been wearing leather long enough that I can pull off almost everything. Oh, we, we know you can. I've seen your pictures. Definitely. Surprisingly, surprisingly, I cannot pull off a garrison cap. Like, it just never looks right on me. It's the one item of leather which refuses to bend to my skin. Is that the so. thin thing you normally said a little bit? Yeah, I can't carry that off either. Anything else? You want me to wear any, you, you know, fur coat and leather? I could probably do that. But put a garrison cap on me and I just instantly look silly. I just can't, I can't pull it off. I, yeah, I think it's important that we all have one Achilles heel. I think it keeps us human. And that's mine. Yeah, what, what, what's my non, what doesn't work on me? Well, a garrison cap definitely doesn't work on me. Um, yeah, it's, it's, but I'm really happy in leather. I get, I'm less confident in rubber, but I also do quite well when I'm in rubber. Skinhead gear, I feel very confident in because I have a certain look. So it mm -hmm. really works. Um, mm -hmm. So it's, it's, yeah, when it comes to fetish, you just have to find what works for you. And the stuff that doesn't work for you, you just need to appreciate what, when people appreciate you in that gear. Yeah, and it is, you know, part of how I learned to wear leather is I looked at photos of men in leather and I kind of figured out what went with what and I paid attention to how they were standing or leaning. So just being out in gear is a way for other people to learn how to be in gear. And, when I see people out in gear, I learn how to wear certain things. And then sometimes I see things that don't appeal to me. It's like, oh, good for you. You, you know, it coheres. I can, I can still see you. Like you're visible to me as a kingster, even if you're not my thing. So that's all that. Just going out in gear is really important. Yeah, that's why like fetish events is so fun. You can get inspiration for new combinations. You can also find stuff that's not necessarily you, but you do you kind of feel. There's this much like the younger generation now because gender is so much more fluid and, and so on. People are experimenting with like doing like proper lever, but in high heels and stuff like that. And it's like not my thing, but I can see I can find it sexy. It's just not my thing. Yeah, I affirm that. I was at IML and a, a, a friend was in a corset in high heels. And I guess some people were giving him crap. But I'm like, you know, you do you as long as it makes you happy. It It, it doesn't. It doesn't key into anything to me, so I wouldn't want to wear it, but I don't have any problem with people fucking around with leather or gender norms around me. Because whatever they do doesn't change the value of what I do, right? It's not, it's not an insult to me, it's just them doing them. So I don't have to take it personally. Yes, yeah, I think someone brought it up um, some months ago for me and I had never thought about that. But when you come to the leather scene and s certain people in the leather scene there is a bit of toxicity and a little bit of pushback when it comes to challenging the masculine norm. Um, and, and I try not to be that at all. I know my aesthetic is very hyper-masculine, but that's not necessarily, I'm not against feminine. That's the thing. Yeah, and I, I, I have heard, I've not seen that gatekeeping, gatekeeping happen in person, but I've certainly heard stories of it. And I feel like, you know, I don't really deploy the full weight of what I've accumulated, but there are times when I want to say, you know what, you think you're masculine? I'm leather fucking edge and I'm in full langlets and I look like this. So 
And I say, it's okay. So fuck you, right? I'm going to out-masculine you and then say, it's okay for that person to be feminine. And then where the fuck does that leave you? So there is a sense in which I, I operate from this, I operate with enormous privilege, right? I'm white, I'm, I'm cis, I'm at a certain financial standing. I, I live in an urban area. And I really like throwing that shit around to make room for other people. Cause it's like, mm. there are very few people who can out leather me, right? So, so if I say, it's okay for you to wear a corset, fuck it, it's okay for you to wear a corset. I'm, look at this. <laughs> It, it, it is like you mentioned that we are at a certain level of privilege and that's why we should give space for the people who don't necessarily have the platform and so on. That's, I, I try to make the people I get on here as diverse as possible. I, I have had quite a few white cisgendered males on, on this podcast, um, but that's just the nature of... Um, the fetish scene is it is very white unfortunately yeah um but it, it is just about also listening and know when to shut up yeah i've been kind of really hunting for people of color to have on my podcast because um you know i've had some good i have some good diversity in sort of gender identification and sexuality and ethnicity but i really don't have anyone of color yet and it is and here's the problem, like the people I have on my podcast are my friends. And like, what does that say? It's like, I don't have a lot of leather friends of color. And that's something I've been looking at and examining. But you're absolutely right that this is a very Western, very white, very male kind of community. And for us to at least be aware of that as a starting point. Yeah. And, and in general, what we're doing is not very original. We're cis white males doing a podcast. Yes, <laughs> because we need to be heard more, of course. Groundbreaking, yeah. I know <laughs> so what, what subjects is coming up for you on, on the podcast in the future? Um, so I think I just did the episode on dominance. The next episode, which will launch in a couple of weeks, is on pain. Um, and then I need to get started on the October episode, which is on uniforms. And, uh, and then I haven't really, I don't know, I've got a kind of list of possible topics after that. Um, probably one, probably one on, on recovery at some point and the topics we've been talking about. Ooh, you might be my guest. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> we'll cross, cross guest each other. Yes. I think that's, that's the way to do it. I've, I've definitely been on podcasts and then had them on, on here. So it, that's what happens yeah. because different so podcasts, be different that. audiences. And you cross-pollinate, it's great. Um, I want to do an episode on events. Um, I did, I definitely want to, there's an episode on spirituality. So I don't know, I just think about things. A lot of times what happens is um, people will prompt me to talk about a thing on Twitter that then becomes a topic for the podcast so I can kind of go more in depth on it. So I don't know, we'll see. And again, I'm, I mean, I can't even promise you the podcast is going to make it through the end of the year just because the format, it's, and it's, you know, it's like one 15 minute interview and then the rest of it's just me talking, but mm -hmm. finding someone to interview, arranging that, recording that, recording all the other stuff, doing all the editing, you know, it's just it's a lot, it's a lot. Well, I get it from here. Yes, it's, it's done through Instagram, but then I have to download the video, I have to edit it and then I have to extract audio to put it up and da, 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 da. It, yeah. it's, it's a yeah. whole process. I, I now have it down to a fine art, so I know what I need to do. But it is, it is a lot of work. Um, 
So uh, I can actually ask you advice on this. I also have a cigar fetish, but it's from afar because I don't necessarily like the smell. How do I get over that? Well, first of all, you gotta make sure you're around people who have good cigars, because if it's not a good cigar, it's not gonna smell good. Different mm. cigars definitely smell differently. Um, and, and I know that they're super expensive in Europe in general. So I don't even know if you're getting the good ones or not. But, um, you know, <laughs> that's a really good question. I'm into cigars, but I can't stand the smell. Yeah, that, that it, it is like, I, I really get off on the look. I just don't like the smell. Yeah. There are some people who, no, I don't know. You're screwed. <laughs> you have to get used to it. Uh, I actually, I've had friends who were really into cigars but didn't smoke cigars, and that's kind of similar. So mm. they would kind of be around it. But, um, but all the men I know who were like that ends up smoking cigars. So I don't know what your path holds, but be prepared. <laughs> I'll probably get used to it at some point. I just need to, I should probably just have to take the jump and then just get used to it. Yeah, you know, you might actually just sort of, if there are cigar bars, because um, a lot of times the intensity of someone smoking a cigar is one smell, but if you've been in a room where someone smoked a cigar an hour ago, the kind of lingering aroma can be a lot more pleasant and a lot less sensory mm -hmm. assaulting. So if you could find some sort of place where someone had smoked a cigar and you can walk through and kind of slowly acclimatize yourself maybe. Yeah, I, d I definitely, when, when I went to Ignite here in, in London and I go to, um, unfortunately, the Lake Back Street, which doesn't exist anymore, mm. or last fucking lever bar in London, there's no lever bars left. Um, mm. So uh, it, it always, I always found when it's like, oh, I want to go out and in the cool air, but because of the smoking of the cigars, it's just so overwhelming and I'm not used to cigarette smoke or anything. I'm not a non-smoker. So going into that space is just so overwhelming and I just can't stand in it. Yeah, that might have something to do with the size of the space too. I mean, if you're really mm. sort of in a small space where the smoke's very concentrated, it can get overwhelming even if you're a cigar smoker. So, you know, finding places that are bigger or where you can kind of slowly move into the aroma might help. And you mentioned earlier as well, you were like exploring pain. And, and I got a sense that that is a big part of your, like the power dynamic in your, like if you were gonna have a boy that is important. Where, where how, where, where did that come from? You know, that's been coming for a long time. And now I, it's sort of been centered in my play. And the idea is pain as a pathway to intimacy. Mm -hmm. So it's never about I don't like pain for pain's sake, but pain is a useful tool. And it's never about taking all the pain I want to give, it's about taking all the pain you can take. Because pain takes someone on a very interesting inner journey and it, they go someplace I don't know how to go. Like a lot of the men I beat, they eventually break and let go. And I don't know mm. how to let go. So for me to facilitate that is a way for me to participate in this journey that I feel incapable of. So it's really about fostering their pleasure, growth, journey, emotional eruptions in a place that feels very safe and supportive, but also kind of relentless uh, and being a part of that and being witness to it. And that's really the, the focus of a lot of my play right now. 
Yeah, it's I I'm I'm quite sadistic as a top. Um, I don't like pain myself, which is an, an odd one. I have experienced pain, but I have a very low pain threshold, and it's never really been a part of me. I think in my twenties I was much more submissive than I am now. Um, so I I pushed my boundaries a little bit at that point. But now if I have a boy over, my my favorite tool is my riding crop, which sits right there. Um, and it's so fun. <laughs> yeah, I like to beat with my fists. And I, and I like to tell men I'm going to beat the crap out of you, which isn't entirely true, but it sounds scary. And I think that's oh, hot. The, the verbal is in a poor, in, in clinching part of any pain scene because you need yeah. to get in there to yeah. make them take it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I mean, I, talk, I mean, if you wait for the next episode of my podcast, I talk about all of my journey with pain, and I and I have a whole class I offer on pain processing, and it's all in the podcast. So um, more to come if you're interested. Fantastic, fantastic. We are coming to the end of our time. Is uh, if anyone's been listening to this and they've gotten something out of what you have said, where can they get a hold of you? Oh goodness. So here on Instagram, I am Leather Edge, L-T-H-R-E-D-G-E. On Twitter, I am Leather Edge, all spelled out, L-E-A-T-H-E-R-E-D-G-E. -E. Uh, the podcast is Full Cow, Edge Talks Leather and Kink. And there's also a video archive of all the videos I've done for Twitter and Instagram, categorized and sorted into playlists. And that is at dot com. That's T Chick tchick.com t-c-h-i-c-k t-c-h-i-c-k.com and if you find either my instagram or twitter profile it's got links to my websites fantastic fantastic so just to end the conversation if you're new to either kink or new to recovery is there any anything that would help them along which you would have wished you had known when you started out oh, Lord. i know that's a big question um, for both kink and recovery, what I wish I had known when I was starting out is I wish someone had been there to look me in the eye and say, everything's going to be okay. So I'm going to look you in the eye and say, everything's going to be okay. There are going to be parts of your recovery journey that are really hard, but it's going to be okay. There are going to be parts of your leather journey that are lonely or discouraging, but it's going to be okay. I, I have found that being open to learning and education being willing to grow in both those areas has been pretty critical to what's been for me a pretty fantastic path. Um, but the message I always wish I had is that it's going to be okay. Because as it turns out, it is okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you're going to make me all emotional saying that. It's, 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 it, it echoes so much my story. So it's been absolutely amazing to have you on to share just a, a smidgen of who you are and your journey. And you're so honored. Super honored. Thank you. Thank you very much for being on. Okay. Have a good day. Bye. Bye. So that was Lever Edge. It was absolute joy to have Mon talking about kink, recovery, and everything else. Pain, cigars, and so on. I hope you enjoyed. I'll be back in a couple of weeks with my last guest of the season. Um, so I'll see you in a couple of weeks. Bye. Bye.